Okay, here we go. You ready? Yeah. Do it. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the 538 Election Podcast. Ted Cruz is having a moment. We're going to talk about it with Editor-in-Chief Nate Silver, political reporter Claire Malone, and of course, Harry Enton. My name is Jody Avergan. Welcome, everybody. Hey, Welcome. Jody. <laughs> Shalom. This is the first semi-real yeah, let's, politics let's, what's podcast. The, what's the perfect way to couch expectations? It is the mm. first marginally real piloting This is our soft run. This is a soft As long thing. as we're top five in Iowa, we're yeah. going to have a lot of momentum. No, I it's like those companies it. that are like, we're in beta, and then we're they're in beta, beta for like five years, and yeah. they just get to keep screwing up because they're in beta. <laughs> so welcome to the beta 538 election podcast. We will talk cruise. We will preview Tuesday night's. GOP debate in a second, but first we'll start where we always start with a question that we like to ask around here, which is good use of polling or bad use of polling. So that's where we pick uh, an example of polling being used either in the media or by a candidate or maybe by someone in this office and say good use of polling or bad use of polling. So this week, something that you flagged, Harry, uh, at 5.35 p.m. on Saturday, I'll add, which I was at a bachelor party and you were on Twitter looking at polling, uh, but you flagged uh, something that went on the top of Drudge and you took a screenshot of it and it was the classic Drudge banner with uh, the siren. Exactly. And it said Des Moines Register shock poll. Cruz 29, Trump 22, Rubio 13, Carson 11. Uh, You asked... Did someone leak this poll, which we'll get to in a sec? But uh, but first, shock poll, that framing, good use of polling or bad use of polling? I, I think it's a bad use because we had already had a poll out prior to this one from Monmouth University, which showed that Cruz was also leading by about the same margin. That one had uh, Cruz up by five, and this one had supposedly Cruz up by seven. Of course, that didn't end up being correct. The actual poll was Cruz up by ten. But I think it's very bad to hype poll results like the shock poll, siren poll. And it's kind of ridiculous to me that now it's not only the actual polls that are getting hyped up, but the leaks of the polls. And we're still Harry, nearly two months away. Shouldn't you be excited that polls are sexy now? The <laughs> polls are showing a little less. It's, we're like – what people don't realize over the whole course of 538's election cycle, we're like pretty anti-poll. Or not anti-poll, <laughs> right? But anti-people making way too much. Right. This polls. is one poll. The irony is this is probably the best – Poll in the country, right? Which I think is right. why so, it got so, the siren. So, give us some context. There, no, it got the siren because at five thirty-five p.m. on a Saturday, there's not much else to siren. But, 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 give us some context about this poll because this was a Des Moines Register poll. This is a respected poll, and when it did come out officially. It had some interesting results. Sure. I mean, if we look at the 538 pollster ratings, we see that Ansel's, the Des Moines Register poll, is rated as the highest pollster in our pollster database. Everyone's really interested in the Iowa caucus because it's the first contest. And more than that, I think that there's a large portion of the media that wants to dig into this, oh, Trump is running away with this race, and this is the type of poll that could do it. And so it was a very interesting, you know, result and But, again, I just go back to this shouldn't have been a shock. It was not a shock. Most people thought that Ted Cruz was leading in Iowa, and I think most people still believe that Ted Cruz is leading But it was Iowa. like the first hard evidence, yeah. right? It was like or, – or the first – There was one other – so the thing about Trump in Iowa is Trump's actually been pretty steady in Iowa. He's been at, at – um, in the live collar polls, which trust a little bit more, you know, low to mid-20s, and you've had people who – can get over a low to mid 20s threshold where it's harder if you're at 30 percent or something but we saw ben carson before 
was ahead in the Iowa average for some period of time, it seems to me a little hard to know for sure cause and effect. It seems to me, though, that um, Cruz is running well, both with Tea Party voters, and he's always done that, but now with some of the Carson evangelicals, too. And that is a powerful combination in Iowa. That plus some endorsements he had, plus we can talk about his ground game later. Um, but, you know, it's a fairly classic profile for someone who would win the Iowa caucus. And so to see him at, um, at what was it, 33%, not the number Drudge leaked? 31. Right, 31. so let's, let's get to Cruz in a sec. But wait, how does a poll leak with the wrong number, Harry? Uh, it could be multiple things. One, maybe the poll didn't leak and Drudge was lying. I don't think that's true. It could he did report there was some movie where, what was it, Leo DiCaprio gets raped by a bear or something. <laughs> this is a guy who... I think they got two sirens. If two sirens. He's very excited by that. And by the way, this is a guy who, um, like many other news outlets, kind of leaked inaccurate exit poll data during 2004. Sure. The whole world thought that John Kerry was going to become president. So what, where hours. did this number come from? It then? was probably maybe, you know, it wasn't the complete sample. Maybe it was an unweighted portion sample. Remember, weighting does adjust the results slightly, but usually not that much. And that looked exactly like this, where the result was close, right. but not exactly right. Okay, so let's talk about the rise of Cruz in earnest. And, Claire, you were in Iowa, you know, uh, I guess right before this shock poll. But yeah. just tracking this, does it? did it feel like... Cruz was having a moment in that state, and and why? Yeah, I think it feels about right. You know, like Nate was saying, it, and Harry, it. it um, I think the buzz about Cruz, especially when I was there, I think I was in Iowa while this poll was being conducted, and the general buzz from people who were in the know was, Cruz is the person who's been putting in a lot of good FaceTime, but also he does have a really good ground game, and he's. Um, you know, he was also uh, he'd, he'd gotten a couple big endorsements from evangelical leaders. Um, which helps. So I think in the, you know, Trump obviously owns the news cycle to a certain extent for the past, you know, couple of months. But I think Cruz was also sort of a name in the air and that and that made a difference. And I think this 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 jibes to me with with what I saw in Iowa. So in terms of putting this Cruz moment in like a historical perspective, we're trying to find an analog. I mean, first, who's who's voters? Is he taking and then is he this kind of classic evangelical Iowa favorite who we see one of these candidates have a moment every every time? I mean, we have to be careful. There was, I think, at this point four years ago, Newt Gingrich was at his height in Iowa. Um, Howard Dean was a guy. Harry can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think Howard Dean um, at points from the campaign was doing very well in Iowa polls. He was leading. The, the difference between a Dean and a Gingrich and a Cruz is that Cruz really does have a profile the way he's run the whole campaign of someone who can do very well in Iowa. And plus, apparently, maybe it's a little bar to clear, but a good ground game from what we hear from Claire and other people as compared to what most of the candidates have this year. So, you know, you would think, we talk about polling versus fundamentals. The fundamentals, you would think, oh, Ted Cruz, sure, he's as likely as anyone else to to win Iowa, a pretty natural fit there. And so that makes the result more credible. We should say, I always get concerned about other news outlets that... Um, Cherry pick polls. The polling average in Iowa has Cruz ahead by one point or whatever, mm-hmm. not by uh, not by nine or ten points. And so it is, I think, competitive there. Yeah, sure, I think it is competitive. Though we should point out that there is a split in the polls that tend to have Cruz doing better. Are these polls that call list registered list voters who we know are actual voters? Yeah, um, that's not perfectly the case, but that seems to be mostly. Yeah. Case. So this, I know people are not going to be interested in the methodological discussion, but this explains a lot of the differences we see in polls. Where Seltzer says, "I'm going to take a list of registered Iowa." Uh, registered voters. About a third of those get included in her sample of likely voters. It's probably actually a slight overestimate, but 
but different though than CNN, where they say, oh, half of Iowa adults are going to caucus. Um, so, you know, that would imply you'd have turnout. Someone did this math um, of like 600,000 people instead of 100 and some thousand you had. So this seems to be the big thing um, that differentiates the polls where Trump is at 25 percent versus 35 percent or 40 percent in some national polls is how tightly you draw that screen. There seems to be a universe of people who are interested in Trump um, or naming Trump, but maybe not the likeliest to vote. Claire, is there, is there any picture of the Cruz voter, who that who the Cruz voter is emerging? I mean, we had actually kind of a picture of who the Trump voters mm-hmm. are emerging with that fascinating Frank Lutz focus, uh, group, focus yeah. group that came out over the weekend. But in terms of wh- who is a Cruz voter and what you know, what do we know about them and how, where, how do they overlap with other candidates? I mean, I do think he has a huge base with evangelicals. I think that's sort of a natural. Um, it's obviously a natural Iowa constituency, and Cruz is is very he's very very conservative, both um, constitutionally, quite frankly. I mean, he made you know he sort of made his name on being mm-hmm. solicitor general in Texas, and he yeah. so he has he has very right wing, I think, constitutional views, but he's also a, a big social conservative, and that's something that he's played up in Iowa. So I I think for right now, that's sort of the the profile of, of a Cruz voter. I think it's also someone who's very concerned with national security. Um, you know, when I saw him speak at um, a couple weekends ago at, a, at a, f- a forum that was supposed to be about conservative economic issues, he spent the entire time talking about um, the San Bernardino attacks and, and terrorism. And that's obviously something that's become an issue in this election. And I think that he's sort of hammering away on that. And I think that's a great point is I, there are multiple Ted Cruz voters, right? If you look back at these past candidates who were, quote unquote, Iowa candidates who did well with born again evangelical voters, they didn't necessarily tend to do well with those who we would put now in sort of the Tea Party camp, right? right? But Cruz does well with both of them, which makes him formidable. And I think he's trying to take away Paul voters as well. I mean, mm. that's that's another constituency that he's sort of making a play for. Yeah, and who knows, you know, um, I guess as the weeks go by, can there be a last-minute surge for Paul or Huckabee or Santorum? Probably not enough for them to win, although who knows? I mean, Santorum was down in the dumps at this point four years ago. Um, but if those votes are up for grabs, then those might be Cruz votes or maybe Trump votes in some cases. I don't know. Carson votes. You know, another question is Carson is clearly fading as much as we kind of tear our hair out about is Cruz rising, is Trump rising or falling? Carson's trajectory has been pretty steadily downward. Will that tend to bottom out toward zero or will he have some type of floor? If it bottoms out toward zero, where do those votes go? Uh, what What is um, Trump's path if he doesn't win Iowa at this point? Because he keeps saying – if I win Iowa, I'm going to run the table, right? But what he doesn't obviously talk about the flip side of that, which is if he doesn't win Iowa, then what, Harry? Well, he is polling better in New Hampshire than he is polling in Iowa. So I think the thought would be if Trump could put it together, then he would simply then just win in New Hampshire. But I believe that Trump's brand is all about, quote-unquote, winning. And if you were to lose... <laughs> you believe that? Quote-unquote, be- yeah. Wait, I feel like here we yeah, should man. we should note the press release that came out minutes ago <laughs> where Trump's doctor gave it like the statement of his health record and, and ends it by saying that he can say unequivocally that Mr. Trump will be the healthiest <laughs> individual ever elected to the presidency. <laughs> Sorry. So, I mean, that seems pretty on brand. The number of the, war uh, heroes were elected. <laughs> but, yeah. So, but, but anyway, continue with <laughs> winning. <laughs> winning. So, so essentially if, but what if, happens if winning loses, if, if winning loses, right, then 
we don't know what will happen in New Hampshire with his polling numbers. They could create a remember. Howard Dean's numbers were very good in New Hampshire heading into 2000, right around the Iowa caucus, and then he lost the caucus, and then he, the bottom fell out of New Hampshire. So we just don't know. you know. And I think what's very key, though, is not just whether or not Trump wins or loses in Iowa, but whether the expectation is, is he going to win or lose in there, Iowa. There, there are two things here, though. One of them is momentum and and. You know, the average winner in Iowa gets about a seven-point bounce. Um, the average loser loses a few points, right? Um, that can vary from almost nothing to 20 or 25 points, depending on the election. We could argue about whether Trump is more or less likely to have a severe bounce. I would think that because his campaign is so media and momentum-driven, it might be higher than average, but that's speculative. Um, what I think is less speculative is that Trump is only likely to win the GOP nomination if he's a runaway freight train. Mm-hmm. If he can't be stopped, if he is one of three people that get a third of the delegates, then it's going to go to a brokered convention, contested convention if they need to, and he will probably not emerge the winner of that process. So if, if someone can put a stop to Trump in Iowa, it doesn't mean he can't win New Hampshire. It doesn't mean he won't be a factor in the race, but that means there's a, a, flo- or a ceiling rather on his support. And if Trump has a ceiling, he is very unlikely to win the nomination. Um We've brought up the 2004 election a couple times already here, and I think there's lots of possible parallels. But Howard Dean was actually in the, in the 538 offices doing an interview for a, a project that's coming up. But one thing he said in that interview was uh, that the plan all along for him was to come in third in Iowa and go from there. And he said the worst thing that happened to him was the expectation got set that he needed to win Iowa. And so it really is about – you know, your expectations, not just your sort of raw number. And, well, <laughs> yes. And the scream was, you know, all wrapped up in that for sure. But uh, the scream may have been more of a symptom than a, than a cause. Uh, can, can we do one more thing on Cruz and then, and then move on, which is the, the Cruz campaign is getting a lot of buzz for their sophisticated data mining. There's been a few pieces in, in um, different publications. I read a piece in the Washington Post talking about how they have built a program out of the, his Houston headquarters, and they have statisticians and behavioral psychologists who, and this is how the, uh, the Washington Post put it, that the burgeoning practice of, quote, psychographic targeting built their own version of a Myers-Briggs personality test. But basically, it's sophisticated Facebook data that lets them figure out exactly who you are to your core and then how to target you. Is Cruz really the, the vanguard on this front? Well, I, I think he's I think he's the Republican who's sort of most tuned in to this kind of what I see is sort of like a continuation of previous, you know, the Obama campaign, you know, had all the, the email innovations where you would get the email from Barack Obama saying, hey, casual, casual hello in your inbox. Um, and it's sort of, you know, this kind of targeting, I think it's just gotten more sophisticated as time has gone on. Um, and, and I think that this this these articles about Cruz's team and the data miming and the what do they call it? The psychographic targeting targeting where they call people you know things like a stoic traditionalist mm. a conservative whose top concerns can cl- include president obama's use of executive orders on immigration things like that I, I think it's just sort of a continuation of 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 all these campaign innovations and cruz the you know on the republican side cruz is just the one who's like picking it up and people have bought this kind of yeah, information I, for like i for think generations I think right sometimes these articles about campaign technology are too credulous and there's not like actually any evidence that they work until until the election itself but still the fact that Cruz is investing in this stuff yeah. and at least making an effort you would think people take that for granted but you don't hear much about Rubio doing that yeah. you didn't hear much about um, 
about Romney doing it as extensively in 2012. What about Orca? Orca. Remember yeah. Orca? <laughs> um, we'll talk about Orca at some other point. But, you know, it seems to be combined with um, um, a traditional ground game, too. And, and But again, right, you know, I, I we'll maybe talk about uh, Marco Rubio later, but for all the reasons to be bullish about his long-term future, the fact that you're hearing these stories about Cruz, who, by the way, also has more money than anyone but, yeah. but Jeb Bush, and not about uh, yeah. Rubio it's like, is It's like a snowball effect of people saying, like, oh, he seems like a serious... Right. Guy. If someone else had become the the sort of flavor of the week or the month, then maybe we would have seen an article about how great their data mining is. Let me say one other thing, too, which is Iowa is the one state, maybe to a lesser extent New Hampshire, where you can kind of see the tangible effect of the ground game in the polls, right? Where when Ben Carson rose in Iowa um, a few months ago, that was not precipitated by any particular national event so much as I think he was just kind of getting in the ears of a lot of people in Iowa. He's not supposed to have, by the way, a traditional ground game there, but still have become part of the conversation. So, you know, the other reason if you're Trump um, to be worried about the Iowa polls, I'm sure he's not, or maybe he is, is because it can be a leading indicator for what the campaign looks like when voters are at a point where they have more information or hearing more from the candidates. And so it's not just that oh, Iowa's different. I mean, you know, Trump does not do that well for evangelical voters, but that Iowa voters are more informed, and when they're more informed, um, some of them still like Trump, but he's in the 20s and not the 30s. All right, let's uh, move on to topic number two, which is, flows very nicely from topic number one, which is Tuesday night is the last Republican debate of 2015, which is such dun, a silly dun, way dun. to phrase it. It's like, it's the last debate in the year that's not even the year in which the thing <laughs> we're talking about is happening. But nevertheless, um, you know, every debate from here on out is going to be kind of like, right before a, a big primary. And so this feels, to some extent, like the last uh, not hooked to a particular vote debate. Uh, so is this the last debate where performance doesn't matter or the first debate where it does? I'm not sure that it's that performance doesn't matter in earlier debates. I mean, people rise, people fall. I think Scott Walker not doing well in the earlier debates precipitated him dropping out of the race because he fell in the national polls and the donors dried up and so on and so forth. But again, we are still a long way away from the actual voting. And even polls for the Iowa caucus taken in Iowa at this point, the real predictive margin of error is something like plus or minus 18 percentage points. So, yeah, this debate matters, I think. But I think all debates kind of matter. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think that there's something to be said for like, you know, like, you know, Harry, you're right. Like, that's the that's the sensible answer. But I do think that people like to, you know, they haven't seen him in a few weeks and they want to see, you know, people want to see like their show horse out and like, what are they acting like? What's their are they are they on? Are they? <laughs> you're yeah. Really I mean, and here, you know, the last couple of debates seemed like we were kind of at a weird uh, yeah. doldrums in the campaign. Here you have a couple of things that are coming to a head, the most obvious of which is Cruz versus Trump. Um, you know, the second most obvious of which, or maybe less obvious but equally important, is um, what about Marco Rubio and maybe to a lesser extent Chris Christie? Um, you know, the establishment has kind of slowly trickled a little bit toward Rubio's camp. You look at endorsements, yeah. but it's been slow. Um, and Christie's back on the main stage. We and should, Christie's we kind of back on the main stage, both literally and figuratively, where he's a part of the conversation. Can one of them um, have a moment where they, maybe Cruz and Trump are having a big fight, um, and they act like the mature candidate who can kind of lead the GOP back to the promised land, right? Can they have a big moment? Or conversely, you know, a really listless performance by Rubio, say, 
I think would kind of turn the way the narrative works, some of these whispers about, oh, well, when's this actually going to turn into something into more of an acute concern? And that might make it, you know, even harder for the establishment to get behind a, a candidate. Yeah, I think that is exactly right. But, you know, Rubio, he has not climbed up in the Iowa polls very much. He hasn't climbed up very much in the New Hampshire polls. There's beliefs that he's not investing in the ground games that are necessary to win in those states. People are wait, waiting for him to make a move. And while I think it's still very early, a bad debate performance will just add to the criticism that that campaign yeah. is receiving. And I think some of the Rubio, you know, protest is, as since you're in the tank for Christie and I'm in the tank for Rubio. <laughs> I'm a neutral party. And yeah. All. <laughs> um, but he has moved up slowly and steadily in the polls. And in a normal year, if you were kind of moving up yeah. in the polls by, by a point or two every month and, and, you know, then there wouldn't be that much reason for concern. But the fact is... You know, Republicans might have to decide soon, is Rubio our best stop Trump strategy? And if not, then they're going to cast about for Christie. They're going to give Case another look. You know, you're going to see 16 more stories in, about Mitt Romney, you know, having a secret So if it weren't call. for Trump, you're saying a Rubio, like, finish second, finish third, finish second, and then be there. So and who was it? Was it, um, was it Perry Bacon had a really good article for NBC yeah. about, like, the six different theories about why Rubio was not – kind of reaching critical mass, one of which is that actually he's kind of slow playing it because there's no reason to peak mm -hmm. too soon. Um, but there's not a lot of consensus about what the strategy should be among the GOP. Some of them say, you know what, we think Trump's going to fade, so there's no reason to rush. Others go to the other extreme and say, we think Trump might win, so we don't want to look like idiots to our constituents, you know? And so people don't kind of quite have, um, a, they have a goal of probably having Trump not be their nominee, but they're not sure um, how to facilitate that. Claire, anything else you're looking for as you watch this debate? Well, I think it'll be, as always, I think it'll be interesting to watch Trump and his various uh, media feuds with other candidates. Jeb Bush's campaign sent sort of a funny uh, letter from their lawyer talking about, I think Trump was threatening to sue or, or something um, based on some campaign <laughs> campaign finance thing. And they, there was a, so there was a little Jeb spat and there's been the, there's obviously been the Cruz media stuff. So Who just from Jeb going to try and to pick a fight with this time continues to be the most I interesting just, I don't know. debate storyline. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't see like I can't imagine Jeb impressing people at the day. It's just, you know, on a stage of nine people and he kind of doesn't really command. He's not a I'd say he's not like a gamer. You know, he's not he's not going to get I mean, into the last like two a, times, right? The storyline I feel like going in was okay, Jeb Bush is getting desperate. He's going to try and pick a fight with X and it did not. I think it would be interesting to see if anyone confronts Trump sort of more directly about mm -hmm. the his statement on, on Muslims in coming to America. I mean, yeah. I think that's... And, and it has to be from somebody that the Republican voters actually like. You know, if right. John Kasich goes after him, that's I don't of, think yeah. it means anything. But if Ted Cruz or maybe Marco Rubio or Chris Christie were to go after him, then I think that's a much bigger story. Right. And, Chris, and Cruz has basically said, I'm not going to do this, right? He, he, he put out a... a you say put out a statement and it actually means they tweeted but he put out a tweet and said everyone's trying to bait me into a cage match I think right. is how he put it with Trump and it's not going to because I think he knows that some of his supporters sure. like Trump's thing so yeah I think that's right I and think if, it comes from a different you know, it seems clear that Trump feels as though, I mean Trump is not a subtle guy right by the way when Drudge leaked this poll it's clear that someone had leaked it to Trump before too he was kind of pre-butting it right but Trump's not a subtle guy, and I think it's 95% likely that he's not going to throw a change up. He'll go after Cruz, his kind of promise to do at some point. And how mm -hmm. does Cruz react to sure. that? I don't know, right? Um, you know, what if he seems kind of listless and agree? I mean, it's He's it's a debater, weird. Nate. He's a debater. <laughs> he's a good debater. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our third topic. Uh, 
And you know, if you if you think long and hard, you will notice that there's another primary going on. What? And we, we will br- briefly talk about the fact that today, among the like, seems like twenty polls that came out just on this Monday, uh, there was a Democratic Iowa poll that shows Clinton. Well, how do we phrase this, Harry? Do, do, does Clinton build a lead because she went back – she went up from up seven to up nine? Or do we say, oh, Clinton's only in single digits still and Sanders is nipping at her heels? Or do we just say – There's no <laughs> there's there's no real difference between seven and nine points. I mean Clinton has led in the state of Iowa for, for forever essentially and that lead – fell apart during or fell down during the summer. But the polls from Ansel's, or to the poll which you're referring to in Iowa, have been very consistent, which is a, basically a high single-digit lead for Clinton over Sanders in that state. Other polls have the lead greater. If you look at the polling average, it's somewhere in the teens. But I think what it really will come down to as we head forward is, one, this is not historically a very large lead. There is still time for Sanders to somehow overcome her. Yeah. And the fact that we have <laughs> entered— Wait a minute. Really? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's not a— Are tr- you saying that theoretically, or are you saying that as actual— uh, No, I think Clinton will win that win the Iowa caucus, but there's plenty of time and plenty of evidence— For people from, to feel the burn. For people to, quote-unquote, feel the burn. Hey, maybe I'll even feel the burn. <laughs> I would be nervous if I were Clinton, because the way expectations have reset here, right, where there's been so little focus on the campaign, um, I think sometimes there are margins where if it's like 10 or 12 points, it's dangerous in the sense that in a— primary or caucus even more so that's not that safe that can be overcome with turnout and enthusiasm and ground game and people saying you know what let's give bernie a chance to extend the campaign instead of having it be over you know i mean i think she's the favorite i don't have two counterintuitive a take here but i'm just saying um you know um the drudge sirens if she loses iowa relative to expectations are going to be very loud i think she would lose new hampshire at that point um, I think he then win the nomination after a lot of drama probably fairly easily. But still, um, you know, there still is an early state story about Clinton and, and Sanders here that I think could get rekindled at some point. In some ways, the fact that um, there's been so much drama on the GOP side. I was looking actually at, at historical media coverage of the campaigns. In 2000, we've compared a lot the Gore-Bradley race to Sanders-Clinton, um, you know, Bradley got, relatively speaking, a lot more media attention than Sanders, I think because that you had a really boring GOP race, and so you had to create some type of story. Um, this year, Sanders has kind of fallen off the radar. We hear from his fans a lot about how annoyed they are about this, but it is true that there's not really a story being covered right there, and the minute that Sanders um, wins Iowa or surges late in Iowa, then that's a little bit of a vulnerable moment for Hillary. One of the things in this uh, Des Moines Register poll was that they asked – Sanders supporters, you know, what they feel about Clinton. And they generally like her, which maybe isn't that surprising, but it means that he can't necessarily go super negative, which is something he has resisted, but he's been at times in debates, you know, I think in each subsequent debate, a little more forceful in his criticism of Clinton. So does he just try and hope that people continue to feel the burn or is he going to, you know, do like a last minute go right at her? I don't think he will. I mean, I kind of think Bernie Sanders is in the race to sort of to, to bring his point of view to light. And I think in some ways it's probably a surprise to him yeah. that, that so many people are feeling the burn. And I don't think he's out there to sabotage Clinton ultimately in a, in a national race. And, and, and I so I, I kind of don't see that happening. I see it largely staying positive and, and 
you know, fairly friendly between them. One thing I will note, as you said, Clinton voters like Sanders, Sanders voters like Clinton, at least in Iowa. And the fact that that's true means that they could switch places fairly easily. These voters, oh, they right. like both of them. So I still think the door is yeah, open. Yeah, again, I, I look at New Hampshire in 2008 where people were like, well, you know, let's extend the campaign. We like both candidates. Let's give Clinton another chance, right? Or even their elections like the New York mayoral race. What was it in 2009 where Bloomberg had a very high approval rating? People were like, you know what? Um, he doesn't need my vote particularly, so why not vote for the other guy? I mean, I just – I don't know. I um, I have – I was going to say what intuition. Was the, what was the other use. guy's name, by the way? Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson. Very yeah. good. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm just, I was just trying to trying to see whether you were telling that don't, story don't as, a point it, of, as a point of saying, well, I, and I actually forgot his name. But no, you did remember. So there you go. Um, okay. Let's start to wrap up, and we will wrap up as we um, will – we're thinking we will, as we're still in piloting phase, uh, every time, which is one reason to worry. And we will pick a reason for either a Democrat to be worried this week or a Republican to be worried this week. So does anyone have a reason for one side to worry? I do. I do, Jody. Nate does. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, is your, what, Nate? Who, were, who should be worried? If I were Republican, Republican. Um, I'd be worried about where my primary process is at and about a report by Robert Costa in the Washington Post um, mm-hmm. about the possibility of a contested convention or a brokered convention, if we're being less precise. The reporting was that the GOP would rather have a contested, messy, bloody convention than nominate Donald Trump, which I think if the GOP is the right choice. But it was a reminder that even if you are, as we are, skeptical about the chance that Donald Trump could win the nomination – there are still a lot of ways this could end badly for the GOP in a way that injures their chances next November. All right. Well, that is the reason to worry for the GOP, a possible contested convention. And uh, it's time to wrap up. So thanks to everyone for listening as we continue to pilot. Thank you, Nate and Claire and Harry. Thank you, Jody. Yeah. My name is Jody Abergan. Uh, we're going to launch our Proper Politics podcast uh, in January before the Iowa caucus, but we'll be sharing some of our piloting as we go. So if you're listening to this and have any notes, send us an email, podcasts at 538.com or tweet at us. And of course, keep your eye on 538.com, on Twitter, on Facebook and all that stuff for all of our coverage. And we'll talk to you soon.